0: one of the things we did was surround ourselves with gold to literally immerse ourselves in the dream, in the goal, in the plan. And so everything in my life was gold. I had gold sheets. I wrapped myself in gold. Gold boxer shorts, I slept in them. I had a gold pillowcase. So every time I go to sleep, I'd be 10 hours a day wrapped in gold. I had a gold toaster, gold Ugg boots, gold car, gold sunglasses, gold watch. I even washed in palm olive gold soap. Now, for those that don't know what, Palmolive's just a brand, but it was gold soap, so I could smell the soap. I would sing our national anthem in the shower. We would just make it like that was our every single step of the way for years was golden. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show,
1: where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week.
0: Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro.
2: (laughs) oh my gosh okay one second ladies here we go sarah maxwell and natalie cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction as dynamic world athletes representing canada and australia in beach volleyball they honed in on achievement at the highest level winning an olympic gold medal on her home beach of bondi is a pinnacle example Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly/slash the Nat and Sarah Show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Welcome to the Nat and
1: Sarah Show! Here we are talking about the third step. And here's the thing. When I said to Nat, let's talk about the third step, which is all about creating a plan, she said, No wonder you don't want to do it because that's what you're not good at. How dare you? How dare you (laughs) call me out and I said, okay, let's be truthful. Let's be honest. This is potentially maybe a part that I'm not as awesome at.
0: Because it takes – this is a big chunk, right? When we talk about three steps, uh, you think maybe it's basic, but this is where the evolution of the plant, the beefing up, the – all of the action is right here in this plan. If you get the plan. No wonder you like it. Action Jackson right you, here. Well, you get the plan right, you just keep taking the steps and sometimes you fall over or get off track but you get back on. Once you lay the track through this plan, the rest is kind of history. So we thought. His uh, story, his story, the new story we well, created. Her story. in, Or her story. We created in step one. Exactly. So we
1: thought, okay, let's do this a little bit interview style because I'm good at asking the questions. And basically, Nat likes being extracted that way because for her, that's how she can actually allow the genius that is her capacity to plan. So in my opinion, Nat's a bit of an over planner, but nothing like having an over to help you out. So she did land us in Switzerland after all. So I won't complain too much. So, okay. So Nat, I was really curious how in the early days when we didn't know each other, which really maybe your life hadn't really begun then, (laughs) because, you know, BS BS before before, Sarah. yeah, yeah. So basically before me, um, and when you did very well at the Olympics, how did you go from this idea of a dream? So I know you and Carrie got together before the Olympics was even an option for a beach volleyball player. And you guys got together and you said, we want to win a medal at the Olympics. Okay. What do you do next? How do you
0: even plan that? Well, we, we had to get a coach. So we got a coach in on um, the story. We had a volleyball coach, Steve. We had a strength... Yeah, but you had to go get him. Where'd you get him? Yeah, well, I guess the plan even starts before that. Very good. Yeah. So once you have this dream, right, and you have this story that you create, then you have to go about putting together all of the pieces, which I guess makes up the plan, or the map sometimes it feels like a treasure map and x marks the spot and you think oh that's easy I'll just go straight to the x and then you realize there's mountains and rivers and crocodiles and everything (laughs) and pirates around your treasure map so we decided the first thing we needed to win an Olympic medal or Olympic gold medal was a coach Mm. fancy that because we couldn't do it by ourselves we needed a third eye to assist us, so we went about going to get a coach, step one. Okay, just pause for a sec, and that's going to be me, the annoying interrupter,
1: but here's something that people that aren't athletes don't know, is when you go to the Olympics, how many teams actually show up to the Olympics without a coach? Uh, not, None. Like almost, like oh. basically none. C-
0: clearly there might be somebody who breaks the odds but basically none right yeah well even if they don't have an official coach there's a delegate that's acting as a coach because you'd never go by yourself
1: okay so in that world it is like when you're excellent and you're the best having a coach is just basically understood as the only way am i I right in saying
0: that the only way you have to have a coach and if you want to be the best in the world or the best at anything or even great at anything you don't have to this isn't just for those that want to be number one. This is the best in your life.
1: I know, but Nat, the reason why I'm asking you that is because you grew up in that space where it was normal. But a lot of people who are not playing sports see pe- coaching as something people who have problems get or people who um, you know, don't actually know what they're doing or they have a weakness. So you, are, you, in your world, it was like, if we want to do something excellent, we need a coach. Yes. Okay, got it. Okay, so Sorry interrupts over then what how'd you get him
0: well we we had actually come fourth at an event we were going about it on our own off we go because okay go to the olympics go to an event play some volleyball and we'd started to get a good result and we looked at each other after fourth which is one off the medals (laughs) and an athlete's worst nightmare and we said hey we're pretty close right now this is kerry and i what do we need to get up one step onto the podium, and we both set a coach. So off we go. We had a uh, ticket back from Portugal to Australia on the plane. We changed that. We flew to America. Um, now, at the time, Brazil... So just so you
1: know, all you North Americans, Australians call the USA America. That's just how they roll. Do you call Canada America too? No, it's Canada. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Okay, just just a little translation. Go. Oh. Uh, okay.
0: America. America. So we flew to um, California and uh, because we could have flown to Brazil because the Brazilians were the best in the world at the time. However, we didn't speak the language. So sometimes in the plan, you've got to find out what may or may not work. We flew to the United States and we interviewed, we'd lined up seven interviews, seven two hour interviews to find the best beach volleyball coach we could. do you interview them in a boardroom or do interviews happen out on the sand? No, we took them to the sand. We had the volleyball net and we said, you've got two hours to teach us everything you know about volleyball and beach volleyball. And we thought then we'd get a pretty clear idea of their plans, everything you know. So that would give us an idea of their scope. And then we could pick the best one. So I know there was one you describe as the
1: quirkiest. So the quirkiest won the battle. He won the job. So how come? The weird, weird, quirky one named Steve. And by the way, you'll, you'll be meeting him in the next episode. So with love, Steve. We love
0: you, Steve. He did the opposite hmm. to what we were expecting. He sat us down on the court and got out a piece of paper <laughs> and a pen. We're like, what are you doing? We, we just want to play volleyball and want you to show us how to play volleyball. He said, yeah, this is how we do it, with a pen and a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to map or plan out uh, some actions. This wasn't a, um, across our results. This was a planning a skill that he had spent many hours researching in his own head of how to invent a new volleyball skill. It was called the lay-down. Now, that's not going to mean anything to you, but I have nightmares about lay-downs. <laughs> and the one, two, three lay-down was this technique that Steve had developed. So he spent two hours explaining to us, trying to sell us on his technique that he thought we would need as one of the tools in our toolkit to win an Olympic gold medal. Okay, so he did
1: sell you. What about what he did sold you that he could be the one to get you your goals
0: well we thought that if he spent this much time and intensity on this one specific technique in the game of beach volleyball then surely he'd do it with every other skill and then he would do it with our uh, mapping our tournaments and where we were going to go and the results we were going to get and how we were going to do it that he would be able to do that Mm. so that that's sort of what There was a couple more criteria he had to fulfill, um, which we knew he would be fully committed, which he did, and we knew that uh, he was the guy that was going to map the plan for us and have the belief in himself to get us there. So he moves himself to Australia within a couple of weeks
1: um, he even had a girlfriend in California. And- yeah, we told him he had to leave her behind. We couldn't yeah, afford so- to pay for her. He showed his commitment and he arrives. And there it begins. So I suppose the the sign of a plan is that it actually have legs.
0: So, so it actually started to operate. Yeah, you- that was the first step that he got off the plane, right? <laughs> so we sent him a ticket and then we at the airport in Perth where Kerry lived waiting for him to come all like with butterflies and nervousness of is he even going to show up. Maybe he changed his mind. And so that's the hatching of the plan. It starts. He shows up. Mm-hmm. You take the first steps. So as these
1: plans, you know, he starts to lay out the plans and you guys start to execute, did it go perfectly? Was, it, was his plan aligned with your plan? Because here's the thing, when you have a coach, sometimes there's two different plans going on. So tell me how that meshed together, honestly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, our plan... Um, and more as athletes and, um, outcome driven focused was we wanted to see results. We wanted to see winning. If you're <laughs> going to win at the Olympics, you got to win along the way. Surely that's how it works. And we weren't winning. So there was quite a few times where there was friction
1: mm-hmm.
0: and arguments and about that this isn't working and we should throw our toys out of the pram <laughs> and go home, um, and Steve just kept steadfast on he, – he would see small things along the way that he thought was working. So he kept us – he kept saying, you're on track, everything's going to plan, and we didn't believe that because mm. we weren't getting the result mm. that we wanted. But he his ability to see the whole plan across a long period of time mm-hmm. – and like I said about a treasure map, maybe there's crocodiles, maybe there's challenges, maybe there's a mountain in front of you, the obstacle comes up. He could see all of those yeah. and he was okay with them. And that was pretty cool. We, I mean this is all in hindsight, right? At the time you'd, you were thinking he's crazy. <laughs> um, but we believed in him and he believed in us and that's a great combination and I think the layering of the plan was very, very important how he was sort of focused on our lay downs working mm-hmm. as well as us get really focusing on wanting to win.
1: What I'm getting here is like that relationship between a coach and the person who may have a dream or a vision or a goal is that he wasn't as emotionally invested in the short term like it sounds like you guys were the Let's call the athletes the performer. But in this case, if you're listening and you have a dream or a goal, you're the performer. You're the one performing the actions. And sometimes when our face is so on the windshield of our life, we become emotional. So I can see that he was able to see the whole picture when sometimes you guys were just like pressed up against reality. And so so talk to me a little bit more about this multi-layered ability to, you know bring the plan into existence for you guys when you're emotional so you're emotional you want to win it's not happening fast enough the results aren't coming fast enough how was this plan able to come to life and have many layers
0: I I think the best way to describe it is that it to bring it to life was that you had to incorporate all senses Mm. so We had to see it, and we've already talked about the best way to see it is to close your eyes. Mm. We had to smell it. And, you know, if you're talking about athletics and smelling, it's the smell of the sweat and the environment and the cauldron and the, um, the action and just being in the game. And then you've got to taste it. Like this is a bit weird, but I literally ate gold. So that's another story. But tasting it. Wrapping yourself in it, um, the, I'll tell the gold story. Okay. So we, one of the things we did was surround ourselves with gold to literally immerse ourselves in the dream, in the goal, in the plan. And so everything in my life was gold. I had gold sheets. I wrapped myself in gold. Gold boxer shorts, I slept in them. I had a gold pillowcase. So every time I go to sleep, I'd be 10 hours a day wrapped in gold I had a gold toaster, gold Ugg boots, gold car, gold sunglasses, gold watch. I even washed in Palmolive gold soap. Now, for those that don't know what, is just a brand, but it was gold soap, so I could smell the soap. I would sing our national anthem in the shower. We would just make it like that was our every single step of the way for years was golden. Mm. So you have to immerse yourself in it, the layers of the plan, Um, come in from Steve too from a long-term perspective and a short-term perspective you're working on events and results every week across a year and an Olympics is a four-year cycle and he's also working on the skill which is the lay down and the spike and the serve and the Mm -hmm. dig so all of that has to come together and the mechanics of it Mm -hmm. is really important so you you sit down with your treasure map and you go how am I gonna get from A to X marks the spot? So the how some of the steps and as an athlete for us it was physical training volleyball training mental training a recovery which was really important. Um, so you've got a how component and then you've got who's gonna help us? So this is where Steve came in as, as the first part. The who the team you want to build around you. So we had a strength and conditioning coach, and that was Phil. He took care of our muscles and our recovery. And then we had a success coach. And I think we were way ahead of our time at this point, um, bringing on board a success coach, Curric Ashley, and he worked on our mind. And I think the number one muscle we worked more than anyone else in our Olympic cycle to win gold in the Sydney Olympics was our mental muscle. Not only mental, but another multi-layered facet, which is emotional and spiritual. How do you respond when it all goes pear-shaped? Explain pear-shaped. There's an expression for you. Pear-shaped is when it all doesn't go to plan. When it, She wants to swear. When it goes not. a bit wacky. <laughs> um, so what do you do when that happens? And in this planning mm. phase, you want to plan your what-ifs. What if there's an injury? What if Carrie and I don't like each other? What if um, the results aren't coming? And you plan it on a piece of paper rather than in the heat of the battle when all the emotions are there. You actually plan it while it's going good. So just just a little break
1: in for a sec is that this might be a good time for us to teach everybody about the whoop, you know, the W-O-O-P, because you're basically leading into having a plan for when there's inner obstacles and that's what the whoop strategy and plan is all about so make sure you go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to get your worksheets on how to run your whoop you know we might do an episode on that in the future but if you want to sort of sink your teeth into something straight away make sure that you have those worksheets because that's how you put pen to paper right Nat so people are going to be listening to your plan but how can they make it their plan
0: yeah and the worksheets will help you map that out and as I've said before it's really important that you print and put pen to paper and don't do this on a computer because the brain responds differently as we were sleeping in gold sheets and looking at everything gold and eating gold and smelling gold soap the brain while I'm sleeping is actually trying to work out how to do that Mm. how to take the physical steps to win gold. So every day I would wake up a little bit more golden Mm. and my shots and my psyche and my strategy was just that little bit better. And you've probably heard, you know, it might be difficult to increase um, how good you get over 365% would be a huge increase. In getting better but if you do one percent a day for 365 days that seems manageable so that's what it's like every day wrapping ourselves in the gold I felt like we were getting better the belief starts to foster as well that's a whole other story but your belief starts to change I remember hearing this part of your story that I never heard
1: anybody else talk about Nat is that you were asked by your coach why you want to win gold medal you know there's sort of this assumption well doesn't everybody but when you got asked you know why is that important it reminded me of something that I I think maybe a lot of people don't do is they don't ask themselves why and what you're going to do when you achieve that and I know a woman who climbed Kilimanjaro and had planned for this ascent this goal to reach the summit And it was the most exhilarating experience of her life until she had to descend because she'd never asked herself what's going to come next. You know, why am I actually doing this? And she said that it was the most dreary, torturous descent. And because she'd never asked herself beyond making it to the summit, but you didn't stop there. You asked yourself, why a gold medal? Why does it even matter? And can you talk to us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, well in this whole plan, which will be in your worksheets, there's a why component. The why component is very strong. Simon Sinek is a big speaker on why, and that why is actually the first part of this process. I I would argue that you need to know what you're having a why for to but anyway, we're not gonna go there. <laughs> so the why is so important and Steve um, Steve used to ask us about this, it was in our process, it'll be in your process, why we wanted to win an Olympic gold medal. And ironically, for me, it was about wanting to write a book and then you go, well, why did you want to write a book? It was so I could inspire someone or many people to go on to achieve their own dreams. Now, I went on to write the book and ironically we're here in this space Um, creating dream makers Mm. and goal getters and people that want to have their best life. So for me it was about that because I was inspired as a young kid by the athletes that went before me and so I wanted to do the same in my legacy of having somebody say, I played beach volleyball or I went to the Olympics because of Natalie Cook's story. Mm. So that's part of my why. But one of the other things that Steve, um, I remember so clearly to this day, sitting on the sand in Brisbane on our beach volleyball court and Steve asking the question, do you really want it? And I sort of looked at him like, of course I do, you silly man. Like that's why we're here. And she uses
1: much different language in her own head.
0: Silly, silly. man, yes. Ha! So he said, but do you really want it? I said, of course I really want it. I started to build this energy of anger and resentment at him. And he said, do you really, really want it? He just kept adding the word really. Do you really, 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 really want it? And I was sitting on a a bag, a long tube of volleyballs at the time, so I didn't get sand in my bum because we get sand in our bum all the time as beach volleyball players. And he said it for probably the 10th time, do you really, really, really want this? And so I I stood up, I grabbed the ball bag and I swung it back like a baseball bat and I held it there and in my brain, you know that moment of silence where everything stops and I asked myself, do I really, really, really want to hit him? (laughs) And the answer was yes. So I swung through with this bag. I smashed him in the side of the shoulder and nearly knocked him. I don't think he expected it. I didn't expect it. I dropped the ball bag and I ran because I, I felt Good like, job, tough guy. Yeah, I was like off like a deer of the headlights. So, but but the story from that is you have to really go so deep to decide if you do really want it and why you really want it and this makes up the foundation and the basis of the plan. These are the foundations because every time it gets difficult, or an obstacle comes up, or something that wasn't on the map shows up, you go back to these sentiments of really wanting it and why you want it to enable you to keep going through the hard times. And just to add to this, something really
1: intricate, when we were discussing our conversation, you know, the conversation is going to continue with Steve Anderson, because you you want to hear from the man himself, but we were talking about how He had this plan for you that was pretty process-driven. You know, it was like these skills and these emotions and these, you know, one by one. However, the performers, you were saying, you guys held this deep yearning for results. You know, you loved the win. You loved being out there and actually getting that result. And he never dissuaded you from that. He never told you to stop wanting the win. In order to be in the daily do and and I think that we we just wanted to bring that aspect forward because if you can hold these two things because you 're really big on paradox, so what do you think now of this having this paradox of being in the moment without losing your desire to win, like how do you hold these two things that some
0: coaches actually try to separate mm. This is the key for me. This you hold one, this is how easy it is. Hold one in each hand. Mm. It's the paradox. Sometimes there's like a seesaw action or a balancing action. And if I find a lot of coaches process driven and ask their athletes or demand their athletes to take their eye off the prize. Mm. And so it's like swimming around in circles with one arm. You don't even know where you're going. You really have to understand your target. You have to stand understand where you're going for you to come back to the daily do or the daily grind. Because sometimes that's the tough yards. The daily grind becomes um, doable when you know where you're going and that the prize is what you really, really want and important enough to you. So your ability to do the do and do the grind and stick your head up and have a look and go, that's where I'm going, that's cool, that's why I'm still doing the grind. Mm. And I think Steve was very good at that, allowing us to sparkle and surround ourselves with gold whilst he kept us grounded as well back in the... This guy made us train for six months every morning for six months for half an hour before practice started without a ball. We played beach volleyball without a ball. And every day we would come to practice like a dog with a bone and go, Steve, can we have the ball yet? He'd say, no, go and do your footwork. This was the lay down, the one, two, three later. Like Steve, can we have a ball yet? No, no, no. Because when you add the ball, which could be perceived as the shiny gold medal, the outcome, you get distracted. So, that can happen if you're too focused on the outcome, it's distracting. You stop doing the daily do. So, your feet have to dance while you're looking up at the horizon of where you're going, and it has to happen at the same time because the heart has to be connected to the head, which often the head is the thing that creates the plan, and the heart is the thing that inspires and motivates the desire to want to chase it. You
1: said something real quick in your example, but I can't get it out of my head now, Nat. This idea of swimming with one arm in a circle. (laughs) Because the visual of that was really clear that if I just only stay in my process, then I actually never put my head up and realize that I'm swimming in a circle. I almost feel like I'm working hard, even harder, because my other arm's not working. But the other arm, when that starts to come into the equation, is that more... The, the drive and the why, like incorporating the why and the result into it and then you start swimming forward, down, you know, actually gaining some traction down the pool?
0: Absolutely, and it also enables you to determine whether there's course correction. And in mm-hmm. swimmers, they call it stroke correction. So if you're doing backstroke or freestyle and you're swimming off course into the lane ropes, there needs to be some stroke correction. So is it that you're two one arm swimming around in the process Or is it that your other arm's swimming and you're out of the lane and you're actually not going in the right direction? So it really is two hands. I mean, the best way I can describe it is process in your left hand and outcome in your right hand and being able to hold both in the same space at the same time. That's Mm. trippy. Most people freak out about that. But you've just explained the circle. That people a lot of times feel like they're just
1: running, you know, like swimming around in a circle, feeling like you're really busy, but really nothing's changing. So I think that's kind of a really tangible description of what's going on for people. And and that's why we really wanted to provide these, these worksheets where you can put pen to paper in your life and start to operate your plan. And we really want to be of service here offering, you know, we're going to have conversations with coaches, you're going to have more inspiration, but we really want to open this idea of finding your guide, finding your mentor, finding the person who's not as emotionally invested in your life, however, has their own reason for being. Because that's another thing. Steve didn't quit. When everybody else maybe was waning, waxing and waning,
0: he held that vision He held the map the whole time and I think one of the most important parts of this plan is the what if. What if it doesn't work? It's so easy for everyone to high five on the volleyball court when you're winning, Mm. but when you're not winning, can you high five? And this is so important because it doesn't always go to plan. Actually, rarely does it. You have to have the resources, the the resourcefulness to find people to help you when it doesn't go to plan so that's what we're here for too to help through this whole make this map colorful and bright and inspiring so that you want to get to x marks the spot whatever it is for you and as we you know we get in the
1: later months sorry the later weeks of January and the beginning of a year there's still this sense of hope and aspiration and Having a plan is where you begin to get really proud of yourself, where you get to track your milestones, where you get to um actually see your ideas and your dreams in motion. So so get excited about that. Being a deliberate creator is about, you know, putting your your feet on the earth and actually walking. So Nat, thank you so much for um continuing to inspire us with your story of planning and we look forward to bringing you the guru himself in the next show and um we look forward to engaging with you all in the facebook live in our private facebook group so um make sure you get on over there to bit.ly slash the nat and sarah show happy planning
2: Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash The Nat and Sarah Show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group.
1: Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the Listen Now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when
0: you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review, five stars, five stars, five stars, and then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious.
1: So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to... Put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.
0: Thanks.